Alright, welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon. Today we're going to be talking about the results from the Warsaw Regional in Poland. We're going to talk about LAIC, which is the first international championship that we have of this season, which is very exciting. We're going to take an early look at the Silver Tempest meta and have a few predictions on how this is going to shape up when it comes to North America and so on and so forth. Uh, Oceania had a regional announced on very short notice and that about sums it up. Uh, I am Drew, your host, and with me today I have Justin, also known as Pokebrews. What's going on, Bruce? How you been? Oh man, I am. Uh, I'm doing pretty well uh, since last time we talked. Um, been been very busy, but uh, keeping up with the Pokemon stuff going on and just trying to uh, get ready for this this next format. Yeah, it feels like we had very little time in between, you know, Lost Origin and now Silver Tempest. You know, you feel like we didn't really get to explore too much of this meta. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I feel like it just started, and I'm already having to pull apart half the decks that I started building for this format to test. And um, it's just it's kind of it's kind of crazy short notice, but I mean that's what happens whenever a set gets pushed back a little bit, and we got to keep up with the next sets. No, absolutely, and I'm hoping that a lot of the things that Lost Origin brought to the surface doesn't get pushed down too hard with the the presence of Lugia and all other friends associated with Silver Tempest. Uh, did you play any events between point A and point B? I feel like it's been a minute since we've done this. Yeah, yeah. I actually played in two different ones. I played in a, a 1K a few weeks back um, where I literally just bubbled out of Top Cut um, at ninth place. So that was a little little heartbreaking, but um, it was not too bad. Or maybe we did talk about this. I can't even remember because I pulled pulled my second uh, Alt Art Giratina. I don't remember if we talked about this last time or if that was... So long ago now, I feel like. Um, but anyway, so just bubbled that one if if we didn't talk about it. Um, and then this past weekend, I played in a, a four box tournament and um, had a had a little disappointment in myself. Lost my first two rounds, almost dropped and left, um, but ended up deciding to stick it out and uh, play it out. And it came down to playing my winning in. Um, we did a gentleman's agreement. I unfortunately was on the downside of the gentleman's agreement. We rolled a die for it, um, lost. So. Um, kept up with my gentleman's agreement, of course, like you should. Everyone should. Um, was a little little punch in the gut after losing two games and winning four in a row to to come back, or uh, winning three in a row and almost winning my fourth. But you know, um, that's that's what happens in Pokemon sometime. And uh, you know, we just move on to the next one. Yeah. And for those who don't know what a gentleman's agreement is, go ahead and explain that for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a, f- a few other podcasts have kind of talked about this and stuff like this, and at usually higher level stakes, it's kind of one of those things where um, if you and your opponent are in a situation where um, if ne- if you tie, neither of you are in, um, so you both are wanting to win, but you're at you do end up tying, you can sometimes make an agreement to where. Um, so what, like for instance, what my opponent and I did was, um, if game three, whoever had taken the most prize cards would win, well, we were both down to one prize card left. So at that point we went to a die roll, um, and I allowed my opponent to call it, he called heads, landed heads. Um, so I gave him the win and that's pretty much just a sportsman thing saying instead of neither of us making it, we've, we've done so well and we've gotten to this point. Um, one of us should at least make it. So, um, so my opponent ended up going into uh, the eighth eighth seed for top cut for the four box tournament. So, um, good for him. Like I said, it was a little disappointing because it was one of those. If I, I literally was set up to, if I had one more turn, 
um, I would have taken the knockout. He just set up kind of a situation where in those four final turns, I couldn't win. Um, so it was it was a good play on his part, but you know it's it's just it was kind of like that. Damn it! If I had one more turn, and we hear it all the time, but you know it's um, it's like I said, part of the game, unfortunately. Yeah, it fortunately, de- unfortunately, <laughs> it definitely is a sketchy situation, but uh, it's something that a judge can't necessarily un- enforce, uh, at least at a competitive level, because it is a gentleman's agreement at the end of the day. Uh, but good on you for you know seeing it through and being the better person. I've seen a lot of GAs go south in the Pokemon TCG, and it makes for a really bad experience because if you're on the losing end of a gentleman's agreement and your uh, your opponent doesn't uphold their half of the bargain, it makes for a really, really uncomfortable ride home. I mean, you hit the, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, and it's, you know, at least nice to see that you upheld your, your end of the bargain. Hopefully they went on to do some good and open some cool cards in their packs. That way it's not such a, you know, I lost to the first loser type of deal. Yeah, exactly. And this player, he's a he's a guy from a couple hours away, but I've I've played against him many times. Every time I see him, he's like, "Hey, man, what's going?" On? Really great person all around. So it's kind of one of those like it sucked in my boat to to have lost that, but at the same time, like I'm glad that he was able to move on and go because someone I I know and someone I know who would do the same if you know if I had won, he'd be like, "Hey, man, good good job, good playing. You know, hope you went out and stuff like that." And so so it felt great. And then also just kind of for the people listening. Um, gentlemen's agreements aren't necessarily unallowed, but they're not necessarily allowed either. So just don't go around saying like to judges like, "Oh, hey, we have a gentleman's agreement." It's kind of between you and the other player and stuff like that too. No, absolutely. Uh, I played a little bit of Pokemon myself, nothing along the lines of like a four box tournament, if you will. Uh, but I did pick up Arceus Gudra, and I was having a nice little tear with that deck for a while. I very much so like the uh, the chorus and four hyper potion engine the you know being able to heal off with dte just seems super linear but it's very very powerful at the same time so i definitely understand why a lot of people play it it feels like it has a lot of good matchups at the end of the day i did win one of my tournaments uh going six and oh with the deck itself it was very very fun to play i definitely pick it up again and i'm hoping it doesn't get pushed down too hard with silver tempest uh but yeah people aren't here to listen to me playing pokemon though people want to know the results (laughs) of the warsaw regional that had 722 masters what deck won this event man um so the winning deck was by pedro eugene eugene ah, oh my god i can't talk today pedro eugenio torres um a phenomenal player playing the lost zone toolbox um as we've seen time and time and time again it's just a super super strong deck it's very complicated deck but we see here a top player just piloting it to a first place finish at this Warsaw Regionals um, with a pretty consistent list, but also with a couple nice little spicy techs in there too. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. It's a couple cards off from what Tord played at Peoria, and I think that those cards are definitely a catalyst that kind of put it in a more of a an aggressive state, but takes away from a little bit of the consistency. Um, the one of Pokey Gear that's in this deck... Uh, was definitely something that I didn't really understand at first. However, I know how bad it is to whiff the chorus in a Lost Box deck at any capacity. So having that one of card to potentially get yourself, you know, the seven cards deeper to go grab that supporter to expedite cards in the Lost Zone in the form of chorus or potentially throw um, a counter Roxanne at your opponent. If you get Roxanne into your Pokegear, it doesn't feel so bad. 
So I think that it's a very, very circumstantial card. And Tord, uh, after his win, was ranting on uh, Twitch about how much he wanted to play Echoing Horn in that deck and how many games it could have won. And Pedro definitely took that advice and ran rolled with it because there's a one of Echoing Horn in this list. So I, I could see a lot of the merit to it being able to, you know, put something from your opponent's discard back onto the bench and then hit it with Sableye or Cramorant Rope, uh, what have you. Definitely putting yourself in a very advantageous position also features the drapion and a galarian zigzagoon and i know that a lot of people were upping the hp on a lot of their basics in the form of sobble and that zigzagoon helps you hit that 70 hp mark with the uh headbutt tantrum and then using sableye and so on and so forth and in a deck that runs four scoop up nets i feel like galarian zigzagoon definitely sees a whole lot of advantage in something like this yeah, and especially with something like Reggie's as well, too. I mean, those a lot of those are just out of range of the 12 damage counters with having 130 HP, so that kind of helps you in that position as well, too, um, which I, I honestly like that inclusion because even though Lost Zone Box is such a powerful one-prize deck, it does seem sometimes that it just whiffs those numbers, which a lot of times it's not a, a horrible thing because you're, you're trading prizes one for two or three. Um, but yeah, it just kind of helps you get there, you know, just that much quicker and then also against other one prizers to swing the matchup in your favor a little bit um and i do like the pokey gears as well too it's something that um in previous formats like pre-covid i always loved having having them in my deck and then even recently with uh, my gudra um i've i've been playing two pokey gears in this past tournament i took them out um and i definitely could feel the the difference of not being able to dig for cards sometimes and yeah it just really helps in those situations especially with the colrus engine and stuff like that because with this deck, you are really wanting to get that Lost Zone built up as fast as possible. And if you've got that Poke Gear, it can almost technically be an essential, like a, a fifth Colrus at that point, because you're able to play that and search it out even that much faster. I guess not really a fifth Colrus, but um, a way to find it that much easier. Absolutely. I, I think Poke Gear is a fantastic card, especially if you're playing a very heavy supporter line or a very necessary supporter line in any deck at that. I remember playing a four count of them in things like Welder as well as the Duraludon list where I'd play four Marnie, four Boss. So, you know, there is a lot of, you know, fat to trim in a deck like that. And if you can't thin it out with the Lost Zone engine early in the game, I could see it being very important to kind of cut through a lot of those necessary late game resources to go grab that supporter you need for the turn uh, second place though we're going to go ahead and move on from this first place list and by the way uh gg's pedro torres if uh you guys want some coaching from this guy he is on metify and he's you know a very decorated player so definitely check him out but second place was alex shemansky with giratina v star before we dive into the deck i just want to you know tip the old cap to alex for piloting this deck at a very very high level but alex has 10 top eight appearances and zero regional wins uh don't be discouraged dude that is nothing to scoff at whatsoever that is a huge accomplishment you will get yours and it will be on the biggest stage you've shown time and time again how powerful you are playing decks at a high level like this and just you know be patient and keep competing don't get discouraged because it's definitely sick to see you you win and we want to see you win the big thing. I just I still couldn't believe the tweet that went out like literally not even 30 minutes after he lost with saying now has 10 I was just like dude you couldn't give the guy like a 24 hours to like 
I mean, because I will say I, I was able to watch the final two matches um, this weekend, and I felt so bad in game two. Alex had it tie like he had it in the bag, and then the Roxanne down to two, and he he played so incredibly to his outs, and just with the one card he needed to be able to win the game to just go in 2-0 in the finals, and it's just such a feels-bad because, like I said, 30 minutes after, then the, that tweet comes out, and it's just like, dude, that's oh, that was that was rough. But, um, yeah, it was an incredible match to watch. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I also just love the Giratina build that he brought. Uh, for those not looking at the deck list like I am, he's playing the, the 3 V-Star and the 2 V featuring the spicy Thornton card, which I absolutely love to see in decks. Thornton is such a powerful supporter that I feel like is severely underplayed in this format. And it's cool because if you give yourself outs to multiple V-Star, trim back on your Vs, but you're able to recycle them back in with Thornton, it makes it very, very powerful. And Thornton being able to cycle in any of these attackers, especially the one of Drapion that handles Mew pretty well, uh, you you see yourself with multiple lines of play to put yourself in really good positions, and the one of Thornton definitely belongs in a deck like this for sure. Yeah, I was I uh, I didn't get to mention it before we started recording, but I really do actually love this list. I mean, it just it looks hyper consistent. It looks I mean everything can attack other than obviously company i mean you really wanted to i guess you could even attack with that there's no point but i mean that's your engine right there but literally everything can be played and played so efficiently and i mean just the consistency aspect we see four mirage gates four battle vip pass four chorus four scoop up nets three i mean it's just there's consistency all around and uh one thing that we don't see however which most people tie to consistency is ultra balls there's no ultra balls in this but because you're playing so many stage ones that all can attack it's kind of like wh- why do you even need them at that point point? and i really like that aspect it's your your plan is to go in with all basics and then just use the giratina v star when you need it and by that point you pretty much have it in your hand i mean because you're digging so much as well too Absolutely, and I can see this being an information deck too, because if you don't see the Thornton in play or in the Lost Zone ever, you're never going to know it's in a deck like this, because that face, it's just, you know, Lost Zone Giratina, you know, featuring Snorlax to be able to counter Sableye and Sableye to be able to counter Shady Dealing. So it's uh, incredibly powerful in that aspect. And, you know, the no Ultra Ball definitely raised a big question mark for me, because I'm so ingrained in the way that everybody plays Lost Zone that in my head, yeah, like you would want one Ultra Ball to be able to go search out an evolution Pokemon in any capacity, but the only thing that evolves is Giratina, and you realistically don't want to use that till late game because most of the Lost Box tools, like Sableye, like Snorlax, like Cramorant, will handle most of that for you early game. So I. Exactly, and then just information's a big factor as well, too. I mean, if you only see two Quick Balls down. If- you don't you don't have an open deck list you're gonna think oh man these must have ultra balls to get whatever he wants whenever he wants so it's kind of an information factor too for your opponent they they're not gonna know you're not playing ultra balls or multiple you know three four quick balls either absolutely i i think that this list is as optimized as one giratina list could potentially be at this level i I will definitely have to try this one out because in my brain, I'm definitely very uncomfortable not playing Ultra Ball. But in a deck like Lost Box, if you will, you want to build those hands and you want to be able to have outs to everything. If you do get Marnied, if you do get Roxanne, 
But I feel like the second out to that is just be super consistent and run high counts of everything that you need. And he did just that. And I feel, you know, I feel silly for not just thinking, oh, why don't I just make my deck more consistent as opposed to, you know, trying to run the things to give myself outs in a pinch. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing with this, too, is the resources are, you know, pretty important, especially when you're lost owning so many cards as it is with Colrus and and, um, the Comfy that whenever you're having to ultra ball two cards away as well at the same time it's like you, you uh, i it, you're optimizing at that point when you don't have them because you're getting rid of less cards that you're already having to get rid of other cards into your loss zone too so it's just it helps in that factor i think as well too it makes makes every card important versus being like i'm going to put these in here but then i'm going to have to make sure i have cards every match that i can throw away too no, I tend to agree. And I know a lot of people have crutched themselves by throwing in a recycler, then the Ultra Ball, so you understand that the energy is a little bit of fair game, uh, especially when you want a Mirage Gate late in, uh, later in the game, if you will. And he just eliminated the crutch altogether and says, you know what, I'm smart, I can pilot this deck at the highest level, and I'm going to do just that by being super consistent. So GG's Alex, you will get yours soon. Just keep playing you know, the decks the way you do. Because as mesmerizing as it shouldn't be, ultra-consistent decks like this just don't typically spark a lot of interest, but I am thoroughly impressed. Yeah, it seems like everyone wants that that spice, and uh, I think the spice nowadays is actually having an ultra-consistent deck, if I'm being honest. It's like like I said, you and I both agree that this deck looks like the most optimized you can play this version of this deck. And it makes me sad it wasn't discovered sooner because... Now we're going to this next format and, you know, things might change. Absolutely. But I, I think Giratina will definitely be able to hold its own. Uh, it's a lot quicker to get 10 cards into the Lost Zone than it is to find the uh, big parasol in most instances. So, um, Very I, true. Yeah, Very true. Yeah, unless you're playing Shady Dealings, but then maybe you get it out too soon and it just gets vacuumed away. Uh, but again, GG is super duper sick to see. Uh, our notable shout-outs, I featured the 6th place Arceus V-Star Giratina v-star and flying pikachu v-max deck because it was just so similar to the one that i played in salt lake city a couple of mild changes they're playing a 1-1 line of the bidoof and biberel they also feature the radiant gardevoir to prevent the counter giratina knockout play which definitely crossed my mind one or two times however i just kind of chickened out and thought you know scoop up zigzagoon might make for a better single price trade-off at the end of the day but what they took away from the draw consistency in the form of Bibarel, they added three chorus which i actually do like in a list like this it still doesn't promote a line of play where you can reasonably use giratina v stars uh, star requiem attack but from playing arceus gudra for so long i mean i guess two weeks isn't that long i understand the merit of just throwing chorus into any deck being able to see five cards deeper add three cards of resources and trim out a lot of cards that you know you're not going to need like you're basically not going to need quick balls or you know ultra balls midway through the game unless you've saved something like luminion or crobat for that explosive play but in my experience you're typically using those pretty early in the game just to establish your board state Um, exactly or or last minute just to grab you know a boss or something like that with luminion right no that is that's a hundred percent correct uh but yeah, super sick list. Definitely makes me want to pick it back up again and give it a try with Chorus. Hadn't considered it, but I definitely am 
now and Justin picked out the 10th place Mewtwo V Union control deck. What can you tell me about this deck? Yeah, so again, we see um, the Chin Chow in there, which I know we kind of, I don't want to say ripped on a little bit um, previous episodes, but it's just like it's one of those cards that still is interesting to me that it's seeing play, but I think the reason why we're seeing it is because it's uh, able to pair up with the speed lightning energy, which allows you to just draw more cards and see more things that you might need um, in these matchups. Um, and I don't know, I just it's one of those things that I... Every time I think Mewtwo Control is falling off the map, it seems to make an appearance again. And here we see it go all the way to a 10th place finish. Um, and I don't know, I just really like it. I used to play Control a lot back in the day. I don't think my brain capacity is, is super ready to play Control consistently again. Um, but I mean, it's just... I, I really do like that. Con people are still finding ways to make Control work, um, especially with the Mewtwo V Union, and just and continue to keep it alive. Um, but yeah, the, the Chin Chow is a weird one to me, but I do like the Speed Lightning inclusion to draw more cards when you need and stuff like that as well, too, because the goal of this deck is kind of to... I mean, we see the four Snorlax in there. You you want to start the game by just drawing as many cards as possible to get your deck thin and start that loop. Yep. No, I, I 100% agree with that. However... I have learned in my now experience with Arceus Gudra, this is a reaction to that deck winning Salt Lake City. There is no deck in the format that has a worse matchup to Mewtwo V Union Control than Arceus Gudra. This is so, so bad, because you hit for 200 on the nose at max unless you play Choice Belt. A deck like this... Which no one plays Choice Belt. <laughs> precisely. Like you, you, There's so many better card spots in a deck like that than, you know using a choice belt but you're only placing 30 damage at a time which they have the outs to heal if necessary uh being able to union game for one turn you know heal two da 200 damage from it consistently and just outlast a deck like that especially if you're using chorus early in the game to establish a board state where you can attack with maybe one or two gudra if you need to this deck is absolutely going to capitalize on something like that. So I, I understand fully now why Mewtwo V Union Control stays in the format because of decks like Arceus Gudra that just don't hit high enough numbers and the damage counters that Mewtwo V Union is able to place just cut straight through it. And the Yellhorn plus the Galarmine getting stuck in a position where you put Gudra V down you can't retreat out of Galarmine with, you know, a five retreat cost that you have now and confusing you is so frustrating to play against. Like, it's yeah. definitely, <laughs> definitely not fun. Huge reaction to a deck like that winning Salt Lake City. They didn't play the Misfortune Sisters, though, which I thought was peculiar, but they did play Miltank. So it's, you know, one way or another, it's a bad matchup for sure. Yeah, and, and we see, too, that they're playing the four count of the Crushing Hammers in here, obviously, as well, too. But that's where, you know, it's just going to, like, hey, not only are we going to stick you with the mines, so you're having to attach more energies and then retreat, we're also going to get rid of those energies while you're playing. And it's just, yeah, it's the, the and the, like you said, the mill tank, a lot of people aren't playing the outs to mill tank right now. I, I continue to joke every time I go to this big league or these big events and say, I should just play Blissey Mill Tank because I know no one in this room is going to have an out to mill tank. And most of the time, that's the case i find yeah i i absolutely agree but i have also found if you play decks with double turbo energy sometimes your best out to counter mill tank might be your own mill tank 
but that about, <laughs> that about wraps it up for the notable mentions uh, in terms of decks that were played at the Warsaw Regional. GG's to everyone who competed. Very excited to transition into the next topic, which is uh, basically Silver Tempest. Like, what yeah. are, what are we looking at going forward, man? I know uh, LAIC is upon us and. This is the first international championships, and it happens to start the day that Silver Tempest becomes legal for competitive play. And I've kind of gathered some results for um, how Silver Tempest has really shaken the meta in terms of top eight finishes or appearances, if you will, uh, overseas in Japan at their city leagues, which is about the equivalent of kind of 1Ks that we have over here. And it really seems like Lugia, with its almost 43% coverage of top eight appearances, and its next, you know, highest, uh, I guess, partner in those top eight becomes Lost Box at 18%. This is pretty crazy how Lugia has taken over so quickly. And I want to hear your thoughts as to why we might be looking at results such as this. Well, I, I do think Lugia is actually just a, an absolute powerhouse. Um, I, I really do. I think it's it's very strong. Um, obviously, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to try to counter it as the meta evolves and stuff like that. Um, we do know that over in those um, those city leagues that they are best of ones. Um, however, you know that also tends to be, be consistency based as well. So if a deck does well, obviously you got to you know put two and two together, that's probably going to be a really consistent deck. Um, so this, the fact that we're seeing Lugia at almost 43%, and the next next closest uh, share of the meta is only at 18.5, literally less than half, um, it's just kind of crazy and just shows that, I mean, yeah, Lugia can be pretty darn consistent. And it seems like with all the text that we see in there too, that it just has answers to a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about like, um, Draladon coming out. Well, Lugia's literally playing the Radiant uh, Evil Tall to just knock it out. Yeah, you know, the, uh, it's just like so it's making answers against other Lugias. They're playing the Amazing Rare Raikou now to swing into other Lugias, and it's just like you can make these really awesome box style decks with the power of. I mean, Lugia is kind of the power, but Archaeops is realistically the powerhouse of the decks, with Archaeops allowing you to accelerate those energies. Um, you could really make anything work, and it's just it's kind of crazy to see, and I really do think going forward, Lugia will be a force to reckon with. No, I tend to agree. I think Lugia is definitely a more fun and consistent Arceus experiment, if you will. Uh, and what I mean by that is Arceus was one of those decks that allowed you to go play a lot of your favorite archetypes again because it was able to accelerate so many different types of energy into play and get your favorite attackers up and running in a very streamlined fashion while doing a pretty reasonable amount of damage and having outs like Sharon's Care. Once you're done using Arceus, you could put it back in your hand and basically no loss, all your attackers are powered up and you go from there. Arceus was a huge spine to a lot of decks in the previous format. You know, it won basically every North America regional uh, at some yeah. capacity. You know, Ar Ar Arceus was definitely very powerful in that aspect. And Lugia 
streamlines the Archaeops, which does the same thing, but it's a single prize trade-off. It accelerates two energy during your turn, doesn't finish your attack, and gives you combinations to use a lot of powerful single prize attackers to power up a lot of out-of-reach multi-prize attackers like uh, Gengar and Duraludon without having to go through all of this crazy setup or using Arceus itself, which is a two-prize trade-off to you know run the engine that could you know become very inconsistent at times depending on how techy you want to get and Arce not Arceus but Archeops offers you a little bit more freedom to have that same creativity and throw off the price trade just a little bit more so yeah and then all oh sorry no, I'll let you finish go ahead right. so basically what it boils down to is I think that people are definitely using Lugia to power up a deck that caters more to their variety and style of play. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the the other thing too is with Arceus to accelerate those energies, it was an attack. Whereas with the Lugia, it's an ability into Archeops and an ability. So it's like you can literally power everything up to start swinging almost right away. I mean, versus where Arceus, where it's like, okay, I have to attack, accelerate the energies, and hope they don't boss that that Pokemon on the bench up and knock it out before I can even start attacking. So it's kind of like you you get that extra, I don't want to say free turn, but you get the almost like a free turn of, whereas Arceus, you had to wait a whole turn before you could even go in with that Pokemon. So it's really crazy. And then the other thing too is it's in this meta with such, we have so many special energies right now. I think that's really what makes the Archeops broken is because we have Aurora, we have all the, the heat energy, the dark the hiding darkness. We have so many special energies right now that it's like it's a, a melting pot of what you can build uh, around the Archeops Lugia combo, which is absolutely insane to me. And I think rotation, it might kind of slow down because we're going to lose things like the Aurora energy and things like that. But yeah, I, I really think, like you said, it is kind of like how the Arceus engine was so impactful when it first came into the meta. Um, that's how Lugia Archeops is now, but even better it's just it, it's absolutely insane how fast you can get things charged up because you put two archaeops down and now you're able to accelerate four special energies and then attack all in one turn absolutely I, I tend to agree and we had a very similar impact such as this when shady dealings became super relevant with the keep calling sobble you could take your favorite attacker at any capacity and just decide to play shady dealings on top of it and although it did become very meh and kind of boring and it wasn't a very fun format because you just had to consider oh well i really like this attacker how can shady dealings increase this attacker's effectiveness and consistency lugia archaeops are basically going to do the same thing for your favorite your favorite archetype and it's going to be one of those things where you pick up a new v star a new v max we get a new promo at some you know in some way shape or form Lugia Archaeops has to be considered as one of the top engines to pilot that card just as is like it's one of those things where because it is colorless because it is relatively low maintenance you know if you can afford a playset why wouldn't you play that card with this what would make it less efficient yeah I mean realistically there's a reason why one of my favorite tweets of the weekend weekend was uh L see everyone in LAIC and it had parentheses Lugia, so capital L, capital A at the end of Lugia mm -hmm. International Championships because it's just this deck is gonna, I think, run run the gambit there. Honestly, I I think so too. We've been in this same loop of trying to find a very consistent lightning attacker to put you know Palkia at bay, 
and we realistically haven't had anything jump out you know from the card itself to tell you hey i'm here to counter x deck and i'd like to turn your attention towards something along the lines of regieleki vmax and the uh what is it vikavolt the one that does the item lock do you really think that that is consistent enough to hang with a lugia deck that could potentially just play a counter and hopefully get all of its item cards out of its hand turn one so I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm actually a really big fan of the the Reggie Vikavolt deck, and I'm, I'm to try. Uh, I've already started picking up cards for that. I do think it would, can kind of be an answer to Lugia, but I, I sitting down on paper and looking at it, I, I strategy wise, in theory, it should work, but it, I don't know if it actually will. Just for the pure sake, um, because Lugia is a colorless as well, it does get things like the Dunsparce to turn its weakness off, um, as well as because. We have the Lugia that has the ability to pull out the Archaeops, like we said, which is also then an ability to accelerate the energies. It do, Lugia are, doesn't really even need that many tools other than maybe a quick ball to get out an attacker and stuff like that. So the item lock, therefore, doesn't even really matter too much because the Archaeops is what's accelerating your energies to be able to, to attack and things like that. So... In theory, it should work for weakness and for item locking, but, I mean, Luya just continues to have the answers, it seems, um, which I hate to say, like, a deck is like, got answers to everything, but it, at the end of the day, it kind of seems like it does. And I mean, and we even see on the chart that you made that the Reggie Vikavolt only has a 2.8% meta share in top eights for all these city leagues, uh, which is literally the you would think would be the direct counter. So obviously there are people already putting the answers in their decks over there. Um, that were just the deck is maybe not as consistent as people thought it might be too. I think it's definitely exciting. People definitely like to manipulate your opponent's hand or the, the way your opponent can play uh, at any capacity. But it's unfortunate that Lugia, Archaeops, and all those other fun things that come along with that deck came out in the same set as Serena, which is a supporter card that allows you to discard things from your hand that isn't an item card, or gust the V Pokemon into the active that also isn't an item card. And I think that Regivolt is suffering from just that card existing, and it being so powerful, and almost being able to run a four count of that card in every deck relevant to the meta right now, with the exception of things Shady Dealings, of course. It just looks like it's able to keep the Regivolt deck at bay for the reason that it can do so many multifaceted things without playing an item card out of your hand simultaneously because if you spend your whole first turn putting your Archaeops into your hand and finding your evolution or outs to your evolution at some you know way shape or form being able to Serena the following turn which can throw two Archaeops into the discard pile allow you to draw into more assets still not using an item card i think that more or less has the biggest impact on why we're not seeing so much success from item lock right now it'll definitely push lost box down because that deck like entirely runs on items but i think it's just not the lugia counter because of its ability to run so efficiently with serena exactly yeah and i didn't even bring up the serena like you just did yeah that's it's another good point because yeah you are able to discard and draw cards and so there's your your draw consistency and you know at a certain point you could even use those like oh my hand's full of item cards that i just can't play anyway so why not just get rid of them you know and 
draw maybe draw into that Pokemon I need or that energy I need. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it seems like yeah, Lugia is going to be the deck that everyone's going to have to find a way to maneuver around. I've seen the lightning builds of Lugia itself, which seems to be the best counter to Lugia, but maybe there's a world where, you know, big Parasol Duraludon makes its way into the format, and hopefully you can <laughs> maneuver around Path to the Peak pretty handily. I don't know. I just, I can be hopeful, of course. Uh, but to, to dabble on the whole, why is Lugia so powerful overseas? Why are we not seeing it? immediately taking the top charts and all the limitless events that we've had since silver tempest has been legal legal on ptcgo and do you think that that caters to being a best of one format over in japan or is it just kind of still being figured out over here in a best of three i think it's still kind of being figured out over here but i i do think that the other aspect um i don't play a lot online but i have seen where the lugia trade market value is like absolutely stupid right now so i do think that's probably something that's holding a lot of people off from picking up the lugia is just the fact it's like you might as well just buy the cards in person because that's what you're practically paying if not more for packs online and stuff like that so i think for the online results that's what we're seeing that's part of the reason why we're seeing that but um but yeah that and then just I, I feel like north america has started paying a little bit more attention to japanese results um within the past year or two and because of that a lot of people are coming in already ready to just purely dominate against lugia so you one you're having less people playing it because they're expecting to be countered against countered against if they were to play that but then also um, they're wanting to counter all the other Lugias as well, so they potentially have a better chance of making it far in these late-night um, series events and stuff like that. It's just... Um, I, I think it's kind of a combo of those things that's why we're not seeing the results yet on PTCGO, but I think that will slowly increase as people kind of realize, like, even with all the counters, it's still doing so well. Yeah, no, that's a great observation, and, and I definitely like your answer for sure. So we'll just have to wait and see unfortunately uh but i have a hunch that lugia is probably going to be the deck to beat uh going forward unfortunately <laughs> yeah for sure you know play Beedrill. all right and we did have one really cool question from one of our listeners george asked uh, how does one keep a calm and collected mental state at larger events and what can you do to enforce a healthy and sharp mental and avoid mistakes this is the question that every competitive TCG player in the world um, wishes they knew the exact answer for. Um, but there are different methods, uh, I feel, um, personally. Um, I like to go in with kind of a positive attitude. Um, I, you know, just one, I do have fun playing the card game at the end of the day. Um, and I do still, I'm human. I, this, like this past weekend, I was really down on myself. Um, the biggest thing is, um, for me, I'm kind of a health nut, so I eat very healthy um, beforehand, usually the night beforehand. I'm not having a drink, even though my name is technically Pokey Brews, um, just to keep my, my brain in the game. Um, I'm constantly having like a protein bar in my backpack. Um, I use Swift Energy Lifestyle, cough, cough, um, <laughs> to help me with a little bit of caffeine and focus. Um, but no, it's just, just, you know, go in with a good mental state. Um, you know, if you're having, if you're down on your luck, your deck's not functioning. 
um, take that as a learning opportunity and kind of just go, well, where were my misplays at? What can I do? One of the things that I like to personally do as well too is after every match, um, I keep a notebook with me, like just a little pocket notebook, and I write down um, notes about the match. I wrote down uh, if I won, what the deck was, what rounds it went, or like how many games it went to, so game one, two, three, which ones won. And also put different uh, misplays um, that I did as well as things I noticed my opponent might have misplayed um, in my notebook. One, that kind of helps me sit down and like as I'm writing it down, I'm kind of relieving a little bit of stress if I lost because I'm writing down what I did wrong. But it also gives me another chance to observe what I did wrong and kind of go, okay, I won't make that mistake again. I'm one of the, I'm very big on if I write it down, that's the second time it's going into my brain and I can fix it from there. But that seems to be a little bit of a stress reliever to me as well because I'm realizing where I made that mistake and it helps me avoid those mistakes down the road too. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, you know, Pokemon, especially if you're a new player coming from uh, the quarantine and coronavirus uh, saga, if you will, if you started playing on PTCGO or if you had some form of social setback, during those times, it's definitely hard to get back to a great state of mind to be out in public and, you know, socialize the way we used to, so on and so forth. It's very important to just, you know, be friendly. Even if your opponent doesn't want to make conversation with you, acknowledging someone's existence and so on and so forth just eases the, ten- the tension between both parties at some capacity. Um, I think that that's a very important part of these larger events as well It's just you know, being able to say hi, introduce yourself, ask where they're from, and then get to playing the game that both of you are there to play and understanding that, you know, your livelihood isn't at stake for playing something like this. You're just there to have fun and play the game at the end of the day. Um, This is where I've made a a significant amount of my friends that I currently have now, and it, it all stems from just having a common interest, which is the Pokemon TCG and that's huge for my mental state, when, especially when I go into events like this. Um, uh, to n- add to your addition, or not addition, but add to your note of taking notes during stuff, I also like to jot down the plays that I might have stuck my neck out a little bit for and made a high-risk, high-reward type of feel and note down the things that worked out, like what I did to set myself up in a position to where I researched into exactly what I needed. Did I thin out enough? Did I make sure that I had all the right pieces in the right place, check my prizes, understood my mapping accordingly, and so on and so forth. So being able to well-round yourself on not only the things you did bad, but to almost compliment yourself on the things you did well is just as important. And I think notating all those things, balancing, you know, drinking water, eating healthy, having a positive mind state, and just making the state of the game as positive as possible is going to ease a lot of those stresses of being in a competitive setting. Yeah, I agree. And especially just to touch back on too, with like talking to your opponent and stuff like that. Um, that's a big one as well too. I always, um, as I'm like, you know, sitting down for the round and stuff like that, we're shuffling up or, uh, I always, I do try to chat with my opponent a little bit and I kind of get a read on them as well when I do that too. Um, whether they're kind of like a friendlier person, they want to chat back, um, whether they're just hyper competitive and they just want to play. Um, but yeah, a lot of times if you start like chatting, you just go, hey man, how you doing? You know, how'd your last round go? This and that. Um, a lot of people are like pretty happy to talk about that kind of stuff because like if they just went through a win, they're like, yeah, or they, they even if they lost, they go, it's like, ah, oh, man, it didn't go my way, but you know, this happened, this, and so it's kind of like it relieves their stress a little bit too. And 
you know, it, it is one of those things. Um, and then another like little thing that I I do try to do between every round. It's it might be kind of weird, but I always try to use the bathroom between every round. Um, because if you sit down and I mean it's 50 minutes in a round, and then you have your setup time and things like that, so you think if you're drinking plenty of water, like t- enough uh, every hour, you probably need to use the restroom every once in a while. And so for me, that's less time. Like if I use the bathroom right beforehand, I'm not like in the middle of the round all of a sudden. Oh man, I gotta I gotta pee, and like then you're like now you're focusing on that. You can just literally just full on focus on the game. They said really weird one to add in there, but that's just something that I do, and it seems. To, I guess work because I've never had to in the middle of a round go crap I need to use the bathroom. <laughs> that was that's actually a really funny topic and I'm going to disclose way too much personal information here, but I tend to do the same thing and I know a lot of people are like, oh he's just a weird guy who has IBS. No, I just don't want to have to go to the bathroom in between rounds. Like it's one less stressor that I have to think about. Like it, it just <laughs> it makes it makes a wealth of difference, you know. And like you know even splash a little water on my face if I feel like I'm just you know sitting under fluorescent lights for too long and getting a little stir crazy like it's it, it does go a long way for sure and i think that that is definitely an important note and at large events like this they typically have like hella stalls so it's like you're not gonna wait in line during your whole intermission between now and your next round exactly i, I drink a ton of water um like i said i'm just a healthy eater drinker in general um and so like i drink a ton of water during these matches because it also does help your you stay hydrated it's like you're an athlete at that point using your brain um so what if you're drinking a ton of water like i said it's just it's just going to help um that and then like if you do start to get a little of a headache i know like my testing group and stuff we always carry a thing at advil with us um just in case like halfway through the tournament it's like man my brain is just fried right now and so it's like take a little advil stuff like that seems to help a little bit too no absolutely it's a great question george then thanks for reaching out and and we're glad that you listen and want to hear our thoughts on the matter and i hope that this helps you well-round yourself especially at larger events and hopefully it uh, helps you at some capacity Um, then one quick point of news before we transition into some other stuff Uh, we did have another oceania regional announced and it's literally like three weeks away and they announced it just this weekend. That's <laughs> kind of like, yeah. I don't want to call it unprofessional because they could do whatever they want. And it's cool that they got an additional regional. But three weeks advance, man, I feel like if I don't know, like, at least four or five weeks in advance, like, there's just no shot. Like, I have to ask for the time off, you know, find my means of travel, find out where I'm going to stay. And three weeks just does not seem like enough time. No, it's it's not, and that's it's kind of I I actually will agree with you saying it's it's unprofessional at that point. Um, I saw I I want to say it was Mitch from the Sableyes or the Sableyes post that from where he's at over in Australia, like he's in Australia, but where the travel time for him is literally like going from Florida to Boston. Yeah, that's a really far distance, even though you're on the same continent. People sometimes don't realize how big Australia is, but like. Flight last minute flights are always really expensive if you can even get in them. Um, last minute hotels are way more expensive. Uh, it's just and for someone like like myself, like you said, it you take it would take you five weeks to or you need at least five weeks. Like someone like me, married with a kid, you know, and full time job, it's it's not. If someone was like, hey, the biggest event of the of the entire year is happening in three weeks, and it's it's literally on the other side of Florida, which is only a couple hours away, I'm like, ah, there's a chance I might 
not make it. I might have to pull some strings with the family and get a bunch of honeydews done just to make sure that, like, because I could go, and that's literally being a couple hours away, let alone hours and hours and hours away and stuff like that. So, I mean, it is very unprofessional. Yeah, like you said, it's nice that they're getting something finally, but it's, it's unprofessional to announce it three weeks beforehand and expect everyone to just drop everything and be able to show up. Absolutely, and there's a very, very solid group in the Oceania regional uh, region, if you will. Um, but they, they, they definitely take a lot of pride in these events, and being able to host an extra one gives a lot of them more access to uh, things like championship points. You know, work closer to their invite to worlds and stuff like that. It's a little less traveling than having to go to other countries, if you will. Uh, but give them a little more than like three weeks dude that just (laughs) that just feels bad it's kind of like a small slap in the face like hey if you can't be here like two weekends from now it sucks uh and these are not expensive you know not inexpensive regionals too like you have to put up some money to go compete and potentially have the the whole format figured out by the by december 3rd and 4th uh so i definitely feel for you uh australian players like this is not feel good at any capacity and hopefully pokemon can do better going forward and it also yeah and then just (laughs) oh oh, so i was gonna say like too think about their stipends like they have to go to these events if they want their stipend like want to try to get these stipends with how little stipends they have which sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i just before we moved on i wanted to i just thought about that to add that in like they what did they get two stipends for Something like that. I forget how many. I think it might be four because of their region. Um, yeah, but like with all those players there, it's like you miss one event, kiss your stipend goodbye. I, like so, they have to drop everything. Absolutely, Australia is a big country, man. You can't just hop on the back of a kangaroo and get yourself there. You're doing some serious driving, and you might even have to fly across yeah. the country just to get to these. And that's just not fair to those players and they are well spaced out enough to where if you need to go to the new brisbane regional december 4th your next one is until march so there's just too much of a vacancy there to justify not going to all three but this one's so close to now that you might not be able to go to that new first one and it gives an upper hand to a lot of players competing in your region to capitalize on those missed points that you're not chasing so it's, exactly. it's kind of bad, but it also makes me really nervous because I feel like I have to check this website every day just to make sure they don't sneak in another regional in the United States that I might be able to go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So that basically rounds up all of the competitive Pokemon news that we have. Uh, last thing that we're going to discuss is we're doing a giveaway. Um, if you follow the PCS underscore pod on Twitter, uh, which is our po- our twitter for our podcast if you will we're giving away a pcs podcast t-shirt and if you look at the image on twitter that's me modeling it very professionally and all you need to do is like the post itself follow our page comment below to and tag two of your friends in that comment and then follow us on twitter itself for a chance to win this free t-shirt and then make sure you listen to the episode following the latin america international championships to find out if you won yeah, sounds pretty easy and a good chance to get some free merch that you can go rep at the uh, the next regional. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been wearing this shirt nonstop. I'm not wearing it right now because it needed to be washed at some point. But uh, it's a nice shirt. It's nice quality. We also have sweatshirts and long sleeves and crewnecks available 
on our website and you can definitely go check that out in the link in our bio on our twitter if you'd like to go buy some of our merchandise buying anything there helps us get to events such as 1ks and regionals and you know help piece together decks that we need to go compete at these things so any help definitely goes a long way couldn't have said it better absolutely and then before we you know sign off and kind of head out of this what do you think is going to win laic i want to go a little rogue on this one um I guess not rogue because we know about it, but I I think the the Vico Reggie deck is gonna make a a pretty good run. Um, I think I think ultimately at the end of the day, Lugia is gonna win, but I think it's gonna almost lose to a Vico Reggie that someone optimizes and figures out. Um, just because I'm I'm really liking the idea of item lock, electric weakness. Um, I would like to say Reggie Drago, but I have yet to find a list that I think is going to really uh, hold its own at the moment so yeah i uh, can't unfortunately jump on the reggie drago train at least not solely as a deck but i have seen a lot of people play it with the lugia archaeops engine which seems pretty uh efficient you know we have to eat back to that conversation that we had before where it's like wow i really like this card and what it does can i apply it with the archaeops engine and you very much so can so you might see something kind of sick and twisted along those lines i think i'm finally ready to jump out of the camp of thinking palkia inteleon is going to win every event <laughs> and i am unfortunately putting my faith in mu v max to kind of carry the weight in terms of old decks transitioning into a new format the meloetta build plus the new earthen seal tablet or whatever that's called just seems like a super powerful combo you don't really miss anything that you need and i think that mew featuring meloetta and the fusion strike build just has a little bit more potential to you know take take some dubs and you know make make mew players proud i'm not one of those players but i definitely would like to see something that's not lugia flavored win the new lugia format uh international championship if you will I think Mew's a really good pick for that, honestly. Mew, Mew is just, it's still so powerful. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to do really, really well. Yep, I tend to agree. And before we head out, do you have any plugs or people you want to shout out real quick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to, to you, Drew, of course. <laughs> Thanks, <dog>. no, um, <laughs> Yeah, if you guys want to follow me, I'm... Uh, I'm Pokey Brews on uh, Instagram, on Pokey Brews TCG on Twitter. Check out Swift Lifestyles Energy Drinks. Use code Pokey Brews for fifteen percent off your order. Um, and I think that's all. I'm sure as soon as we hang up, I'll remember something else. Um, yeah, yeah, if you're if you're buying uh, Silver Tempest singles, make sure you're using Brews TCG Player affiliate link. Again, any of that definitely goes towards his deck building and all regional needs going forward so be sure if you're going through tcg player to use his link that is featured on his link tree which is on his twitter as well as his instagram see you're so much better at this than i am i knew i was forgetting something no i'm the supporting role <laughs> that's just that's my job uh but if you want to look at any of my stuff i'm katana tcg on youtube as well as twitter and instagram and then make sure you check out the pokedads podcast we release a new episode every friday talking about all things pokemon all 
the time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys after LAIC. Check out PCS Pod on Twitter. Yeah, get that free t-shirt. <laughs>